Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is Episode 91. Whatever happens today, let it find us prepared and active, ready for problems, ready for difficulties, ready for people to behave in disappointing or confusing ways, ready to accept and to make it work for us. Let's not wish we could turn back time or remake the universe according to our preference. Not when it would be far better and far easier to remake ourselves. Why did I read that passage? Because it reminds us to be prepared and active. And I believe, and part of this weekly word podcast every week, talking about being active, being healthy, being fit, being prepared, being prepared for what happens in our day and in our week and in our lives on a general basis We're better off being prepared and active. Active being fit in body, prepared being ready for whatever is going to confront us in our day from a mindset standpoint. To me, being prepared is a mindset. Being active and strong and fit and able to deal with the diversity of our days is partially or a lot of it in my perspective, a physical aspect. Let fate find us prepared and active. That's what Seneca said. And I think part of what we do and why we're having this conversation weekly on the Weekly Word podcast is in order for us to be connected to our bodies, to be fit enough, to be strong enough, to be prepared for the daily rigors and stresses of life. And it starts like I talk about later in this podcast, it starts with our own self, with our own fit body, fit for service, fit for our family, fit for our career, not fit with regards to a performance standard, but fit to deal with the things every day throws at us, to be prepared and active. Whatever happens today, let it find us prepared and active, ready for problems. Exactly. Whatever the day throws at us, problems physically, mentally, spiritually. Ready for difficulties, ready for people to behave in disappointing or confusing ways. That's prepared, that's active, right? When we're happy with regards to our fitness and our growth and what we've done today, what we've achieved today with our self-care, We're able to deal with people who behave disappointing or confusing, ready to accept and make it work for us. When you start from a perspective of I've taken care of myself, not in a selfish way, but in the form of self-care, with reconnecting with your body, with this amazing organism we have called our body, and it is fit and it is ready for service, it allows us We can make it work for us. We can make the world around us work for us. Let's not wish we could turn back time or remake the universe according to our preference. Not when it would be far better and far easier to remake ourselves. Love that. It's out of a passage in a book I'm reading, and I just thought that just captures in such a great way 
why we do what we do. And of course, we talk about ultra endurance and endurance adventures, but it starts at the core with wanting to be active and prepared for the rest of the day of our lives. This day, this week, this month, this year, the rest of our lives. And it starts with a choice every single day to be prepared and active. Active physically, prepared mentally. And it's the basis of that curiosity on why we are curious to find out what our potential is physically with regards to endurance and ultra endurance adventures and mentally with regards to our growth and who we can be in our everyday and how we contribute and how we make this time that we're alive worthwhile to make it meaningful, to have purpose, prepared and active, prepared, mentally active physically. That's the weekly word podcast for this week. And that's it. Now, um, I have a variety of topics I want to talk about this week. But most of them revolve around emails, um, and more feedback and more input and just tangents that I go talking about them. I talk about <clears throat> doing things differently at this time of year, getting out of the habits and routines and that just because we're super comfortable and familiar with how that works, and therefore thinking that that's the best training. Well, we often know that's not the best training, but we like the efficiency and the familiarity and the power that um, the that brings with it. But this time of year, doing things differently is very beneficial, and I talk about that, and even different sports and different ways of doing them. I talk about time off being okay and not being worried about it and taking some time off and focusing on different things, tying into doing things differently, strength work especially, and stress plus rest, right? And this is the important time to allow the body to rest a little bit, to stimulate it a little bit differently, to recharge while still being active, of course. I talk about new sw swimmers that are new to the sport, not swimmers, swimmers, but being new to swimming and how to go about it. One of the questions I received on an email was, do I look for a swim coach or do I just do go by videos? And I try to answer that to the best of my ability. I talk about endurance training and testing for stand-up paddleboarding. An athlete, I had an emailer, uh, I had an athlete email me asking about how to apply a lot of what we talk about to his sport of endurance stand-up paddleboarding. So I dive into that and I really enjoy that because it's a different challenge and I love being able to tie it all together like that. And finally, I finish off talking about how, yes, there's many athletes that can afford coaching, especially my coaching, and that should not hinder them, that that should not delay their desire and interest and their inertia to get into this sport and do something from an endurance standpoint or from a triathlon standpoint. Yes, don't get intimidated by it. You don't, you don't need a coach. There's plenty of training plans out there and instead get going. Don't hold yourself back. Get moving, get out there, put one foot in front of the other, start being active so that you're better prepared for your day. So that's this week on the Weekly Word Podcast. I hope you all enjoy. I'm surprised to see how many athletes, 
And I'm not trying to generalize here or criticize. I'm just making an observation. But how many athletes at this time of year, when it's a preseason, when there's no real A events coming up, when they have an opportunity to take a step back, continue to do the training and the disciplines that they do during the year, during their racing season, during the main load phase, during their focused part of their race season, when they have a, an event coming up in 12, 16, 18, 20 weeks. But at this time of year is exactly when you should be taking a step back and doing things differently looking at things differently, but surely doing things differently. Core and strength and stability and slowing down in your swimming and working on um, limiters or disciplines that you struggle with, whether it's kicking and swimming, whether it's cadence and cycling, whether it's bounding and push-off and ankle flexibility in running, whether it's, I mean, I could list so many things, but yet athletes like to default to a workout, to, um, you know, exercising. That's what I should say. They're defaulting to exercising. I want to get in a workout. And I totally get it. All of us do this as a hobby. Most of us do this as a hobby. And we've chosen to have a workout later in the day or early in the morning. And you've had a busy day at work or you still have one at work ahead of you, and you want to get in a burn, a workout, right? And you don't want to overthink it. You just want to exercise. I get that. But there's also space and time in there to have a deliberate outcome of that workout. What could that be? Well, if you're going to do 20, 30 minutes of core, guess what? Then finish that core work and stability work. Get on the bike. Get on the treadmill. Dial that puppy up and run hard for 30 minutes or cycle hard for 30 minutes. That way you got in the work and you got in the burn. And swimming, yes, it's hard to get to the pool at this time of the year for most. But this is the time of year to work on those things that are just blindly sitting there for you to improve where you can just make take the pace, take the speed, take the intervals out of it, and just swim. And I am constantly, it's a Monday, constantly coming across training plans where people just skip, skip the work, and, and, and do either a swim, a bike, or a run. Most aren't doing swimming. And just choose a bike or a run. I mean, we can continue to do the work we've done before. And that will not yield the results in 2019 or the progress in 2019 that we're looking for. And I know that sounds, well, you know, that was just one day and so forth. That might be fine. But again, keeping the big picture in mind and letting go of the fitness at this time of year and working on our limiters, that's the key. Working on things outside of the box, of the silo, of the parameters we usually work with, and instead focus on, all right, how am I making myself better now? How am I doing things differently now? How am I taking a different angle at this now in order to, for me to be better in the spring or in the late winter, depending on when your first um, A races are? Because you know you can always return to biking and running and swimming. That's already out there. That's a given. 
but how are you preparing your body, your structure, your framework, your mind for better, stronger, fitter, smarter, faster? I mean, it's we've talked about this um, numerous times on the podcast about how if you're not looking to, if you're not willing to make a change to approach it differently, you can't expect a different outcome. And many just seem to think, well, I'm already doing something at this time of year. That's great. I agree. That's progress. The fact that you're not just taking time off completely. But instead, use this time to your advantage. Most trainers, professional athletic trainers, as well as but most high-level coaches, they'll ask athletes to completely take off of their primary discipline at this time of year and work on the other disciplines. For example, a runner will do strength work, will do core work, no running, maybe some skiing, maybe some different activities, maybe some cycling, but like six weeks off, completely off of running or six weeks completely off of the activity, the endurance activity that you usually do and focus 100% on strength. Those gains that you get in those windows are phenomenal. And yes, it requires diligence and patience and discipline and trust to let go of that, but you'll come back stronger, a better chassis, stronger ligaments and meniscus and cartilage to handle the workload better. You'll quickly return to a stronger fitness level and surpass that because you took time off and you focused on integrity and strength, right? Or technique or form. But yeah, I see it all over the logs from elite athletes to even just beginners. And beginners, it's a different story, right? Because with beginners, we're working on just repetition and frequency. But some of these elite athletes, just skipping, skipping certain aspects of their workouts and falling back upon what they know. And I know everybody's unique and everybody's different. And again, I want to highlight that I get it, that you only had time for this today and therefore the treadmill was right there, it was easy. Or you were on your way home and you were able to get this in. Or when you woke up this morning, it was raining or something and so you rode a stationary bike inside or you didn't get to the gym. I get it. You know, the occasional missed focused outcome of a workout, I get that. That's totally fine. I'm talking about looking into logs and out of two, three weeks of training for athletes seeing, you know, most of the core and stability being missed, most of the swimming being missed. And that's where, you know, I will say, what what's going on? Why are we just falling back into, I am familiar with this. It feels good. I can do this. I can execute it. I get the burn out of it. I totally get it. But really think, what am I doing differently now? How am I, what am I doing to t- today to prepare myself for 2019? And this is the podcast theme always at this time of year. But it's a good reminder every year. I have to remind myself of this after 40 years. Well, not quite that long with regards to um, running, biking, and um, strength and core work, but from even, but even in my swimming days, it's like, what am I doing now that will um, help me ensure a better outcome come my racing season? 
And what is it I need to be doing at this time of year when the urgency of training isn't as high, where I can slow down and work on my ankle flexibility, on my strength, on my core, on my form, on my posture running, on my hill repeats, on my bounding, on my toes, on my cycling cadence. Well, I, I, I work on that all year round because it's not a question, for example, for me of strength. It's a question of carrying that the strength at a cadence and a um, pedal circle that translates to longer, steadier rides. Right. So yes, it's it's all about thinking. What am I doing this week, and how is the workout and the training laid out the next two three weeks, where I'm addressing things that I'm uncomfortable with, that are outside of my box of familiarity and comfort with training, because I understand we all want to do what we're good at. That feels good. So with our training time and the days getting shorter and the temperatures getting colder or even rainier or snowy, we want to do what makes us feel good, things that we're good at, swimming, biking, running, whatever that is. But it's And, and going to the gym <laughs> and lifting just the bar while everybody else in the gym is you know putting huge plates on each side. Trust me, I know what that's like. I'm not a big dude. And go in there with my little bar and doing bench press with, you know, uh, you know, a few pounds on each side. It's, yeah, it's humbling. But again, what it, it's helping me for my outcome, for my finish line, come May, June, July, August, September, whenever that is. And I know that, yeah, in today's um, evaluation of the workout, it doesn't play that huge of a role, but it's part of the many Lego pieces, foundation pieces that I'm building upon so that come the spring, I'm stronger in the pool. I'm stronger in my running form. I'm better positioned on the bike. That plank work, that bridge work, that um, abductor work, that hip flexor work, that flexibility work, is all going to help me in the aero position on the bike, holding that position in a relaxed form, not letting my shoulders sag into the aero position, but instead holding a, a, a steady core so that I can drive more from my legs, drive more from my glutes, keep and maintain integrity in my pedal circle and power and momentum. Therefore, fear, focused, efficient, Bingo, there it is, efficient. In order to cycle efficiently, I need to have good core integrity, chassis strength, focused efficiency, arrow, and relaxed. In order to be relaxed while doing this all, I need to have a structure and a body in place that carries me in the arrow position without pedaling squares, without laboring through it, right? And that has to happen via core integrity that it, all those small muscles are help supporting those big muscles that will fatigue, that use a ton of oxygen, that use a ton of energy as well. So having those support muscles when we're running late in a half marathon or a marathon or late in a 50 miler and keeping our posture together and our integrity together and our core together and our shoulders relaxed and our chest out and our body somewhat falling forward and our bounce on the trails and our stride and our, our just 
that bounding ability, not huge bounding from a stride distance standpoint, but still bouncy on the trails while we're running so that we have that um, inertia in our running stride. All that comes and starts now with core integrity, stability, and strength. And then platform upon platform. The core now builds to strength soon, and then that builds into the full season. And as I talked about last week, you can't jump ahead. You got to sort of do this piece in order to get to the next piece that fits on top of that piece. But yeah, what are you doing differently at this time of year to ensure that you bring more to the table in the spring, that you have a bigger arsenal in your toolbox, that you have more to fall back upon, that you've expanded your abilities to do the training, not just more of the same. More of the same will give you more of the same outcome, right? So how am I progressing from the past? Not to a future same position, but how am I progressing? What makes me different than last year at this time or than my usual training? Here we go. Let's dive into a few more emails and questions that you may have. And what I like about going through a lot of these emails and questions is it spurs other conversation and other topics and sort of tangents that hopefully are helpful, but also from a mindset and approach and a big picture approach for all this that we do called training and ultra endurance adventures. The important thing too with the emails and the questions and the feedback I receive is that trying to keep that balance with regards to the three-legged stool. And as we um, always talk about, it's not necessarily level imbalance, but there is some sort of balance going on between the three legs and the platform that it's connecting with regards to some being longer, some being lower, some being um, shorter legs. And we've talked about this in the past about how different priorities and different times in life require us to focus on things differently. But the important thing to remember here is that we never completely get rid of one leg. One leg being fitness, health, longevity, care for our body, care for this wonderful tool we have, and importantly also care for understanding that if we are not healthy, if we are not fit, if we are not taking care of ourselves, our ability to be there for the other two legs of the stool is compromised. To be there as a strong family member, to be there as a good parent, to have energy to contribute to our community, to our family, to be present, to be patient, to be less anxious, um, all those things. Um, to be creative, to be passionate, to have a spice for life. That all, in my opinion, starts with first taking care of our own self and not in a selfish way, but knowing that we are healthy, that we are looking out for this organism, this body, this meat suit called us, and that we are therefore using that 
as a way to then be of service to others, to contribute, right? To be more flexible at home, to be more attentive at work, to be more passionate, energetic, positive attitude, patient, um, creative, um, energetic, all those things at work that will go a long way as well, right? So never neglecting one. If we neglect family, right, and we focus too much on training and ourselves and our longevity and our fitness and just on work, well, we can't properly train work without the support of family, without the um, community of family, without the um, love and um, sharing in the passion. Guess what? Winning an event or doing your best in an event or um, um, meddling in something or achieving goals are pretty boring in a vacuum. When you have nobody to share it with, nobody to enjoy the fruits of your labor with, um, it makes it less worthwhile. As well as if you don't care for family um, and your relationships properly, you know, the training becomes compromised. How? Well, you feel guilty or you feel like something's missing, or you feel like you should be doing something with your children, or for your community, or with your loved one, as well as you lose a loved one, or you lose your girlfriend or your boyfriend, because they don't see that you're willing to be flexible, take a long-term approach to this. And so often I talk about on this podcast, and with my new found direction with regards to this, is, you know, helping you, the athlete, the endurance athlete, navigate that three-legged stool, helping you navigate um, your passions with regards to endurance and ultra-endurance adventures, and guiding you through um, all this, knowing that there is a way to be an endurance athlete as well as a great family member, as as well as being a great partner as well as being a great father, as well as being strong in the community, as well as being um, successful professionally, as well as learning and growing in your profession, as well as being able to take on the projects and the extra work that is sometimes needed to do all of it. But that's why in so many aspects of life, there is coaching, right? To help you, guide you, help you navigate through doing more coaching in work and teaching in work and managing in work is to help you grow and navigate the difficult aspects of your professional life. There's family coaching with regards to therapists, as well as mentors, as well as grandparents and parents that help you with their experiences and their insights and friends and Um, you know, close people that you trust, as well as just reading and, and, and other resources, again, to coach you and guide you to being a good family member. And the same thing is with regards to endurance and athletics. Okay, let's say it's not endurance. You know, if you're on a basketball team, or if you're on any team, of course, with regards to coaching or other individual sports, there's always some sort of mentorship, coaching, guidance involved. Even those that used to say, oh, well, I'm an ultra runner. I don't have a coach. 
Yes, in the traditional format, do you need a coach to, all right, I go out and I run. And when I can find the time to run, I run. Um, yes, absolutely. And you can save yourself that money. But if you want to do it long term and navigate those hours and when to do what intensity in order to maximize the limited training time that you have, in order to take on bigger adventures, in order to satisfy that curiosity of what you're capable of, in order to maintain this lifestyle for many years without just doing it for a year or two and then having to back off because the pressures of family and work and career and community and so forth become too much, not pressures in a negative way, but just because you feel you should be applying your energy and your attention to other areas. That's where coaching comes in. It's more guidance. It's more mentorship. In so many ways, it's also coaching. It's an advocate for you, right? And so many, so many of us go through these phases where, yeah, I wish I could do that, but that's just not realistic. Of course it's realistic. You have a choice every day to do what you want to do. Be the person you want to be. Do I want to eat healthy and exercise? Of course you can find the time. It's a question of priorities and choice, right? It's a question of getting your, what are you, what is important to you, right? Sitting in front of the TV? Sure. Well, guess what? Get a good trainer. Get a good setup in your garage. Sit in front of the TV while you're on your bike, right? Um, you love to read. Listen on Audible or on podcast to what you love to read or um, and while you're on a run or on a long hike, right? There's so many ways to combine things and to take a better, more efficient approach. I only have 45 minutes a day. Well, guess what? That's great. I'll take 45 minutes a day with any athlete and put them up to the test and the challenge of what they're capable of with Regards to endurance, absolutely, because with a consistent 45 minutes a day for many weeks, many months, you are going to get quite fit. I guarantee it. That's how this process works. It is all about guiding and navigating and understanding that you can be whatever you want to be. You have that choice every day, every day. And if those endurance adventures are itching and curious for you and you want to know how good you can be, that's what this is for. That's why we talk about it here. That's why you send me the emails. That's why I go off on these tangents to give you a better picture that there are no excuses. You can be out in nature, living life to your fullest and still be 100% good as a partner, as a father, as a family member, as a community member, as a church member, um, and not just a member, but active in it, and be successful in your career, and be successful in your professional growth, and be successful in your managing, and successful with your projects, and be successful in those side projects that you also want to, you know, build a tree house, and you can do it all, but we just need to be focused, organized, have our priorities straight, know how we are going to go about our days and weeks. And again, that's where coaching comes in. That's where I see my value. Helping you navigate that, that three-legged stool, that balance, not in balance, but that balance. So that's what these um, 
emails are good for just to remind us all the different scenarios and examples and cases and questions that might come up as you're running through this, right? And when in my coaching with my athletes, that's, that's what I ask for, right? How do you see me helping you navigate you with you through your days and weeks in order for you to achieve said goal? And now let's dig into the weeds and where are you being inefficient and why are you spending your time on that? And what do you mean you sleep until 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning and then complain at four o'clock in the afternoon that you couldn't get in a long ride and a short transition run because you woke up at 10 and by the time you were done with brunch and out on your bike, well, of course, you're, and then by come you're done at four, let's say, right? But then you need like a two-hour gap just to be normal again because you rode too hard or you're low blood sugar, you didn't take care of your body in order to come back in the door from your training in order to be a successful and contributing participant in your family life on a weekend. But what do you mean you got up at 10? Well, of course, you're going to miss the soccer game. Of course, you're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z with with my partner, with the family, because get your booty up at 7 a.m., at 5 a.m., at 6 a.m. Get it done. Get to bed earlier the night before right? There's patterns and growth and ways to navigate this that I work with my clients all the time. Those that are willing to allow themselves to be coached. Those that are willing to figure this out, that are truly passionate about it. And for many, it takes time. It totally takes time. Because at first, they think they can navigate it on their own. Many right? And then they keep they keep running into roadblocks. And then eventually it's like, huh, maybe, okay, well, what do you think I should do, Chris? Well, let's take a look here. What are you doing here? And what do you mean? What, when do you get up? Well, so then why are you sleeping? In, oh, you're going to bed at midnight or 12 or, or one? Well, what? What's going on? So we break these things down more. We understand the patterns. And like I've talked about on this podcast before, the buckets of our day, right? Does it fit into my family bucket? Good use of time. Does it fit into my work and professional bucket? Good use of time. Does it fit into my training and being an athlete for endurance events bucket? Good use of time. Now, we maybe have another bucket in there for some hobby or free time or community or church or um little league or coaching or other things or home, um, you know, needing to rake the yard or do some home repairs or do some home improvement. Sure. Okay. So that's a, the weekend fourth bucket. But once you start narrowing down to what you're spending your time on, yeah, it gets pretty, you free up a lot of time because a lot of time is wasted. But again, that's a question of your performance focus of your priorities, what you are interested in doing. Don't say, well, I really wanted to do a marathon or a 50k, but I don't have time. Oh, but you have time to, you know, sit around and do this. You have time to, um, you know, waste like this. Or what were you doing there? Okay, well, how did that benefit you? How did that help you grow? How did that help you? Um, become the best you that you are interested in, that you have this deep down interested itch, desire, curiosity to become, but you're not allowing it to blossom, 
right? Yeah, sure, you watched that TV show on Netflix and you watched four episodes in a row and you were too tired after work that day. Great, great, that's awesome. But that's not gonna help you achieve your endurance goals. And if you're serious about it, that's where we start diving in, right? That's what I call coaching. We're all adults, we all make choices, Right? And, but as adults, those choices that we make, we then therefore can't complain when, or, or have this um, opinion or perspective, oh, that can't work. How many athletes have I worked with over the past years who have come back to me and said, yeah, or, or who I've seen after they're done with my coaching and seen and they say, oh, yeah, I remember Ironman. That used to be, I used to be, have time to train for that. Well, I remember being able to be an ultra runner and train for a 50 miler. And I always just either smirk and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> or I'm like, well, why not? What's gotten in the way? Oh, well, my kids are older and activities and this and that. And I'm like, all right, well, that's, that's fine. Let's figure out a way to do it anyway. Well, I don't have time for those five, six hour runs. Okay, well, let's not do five, six hour runs. I mean, it's a question of ex changing your expectations and your desired outcomes from that, right? Well, if you don't have time for those five, six hour runs, well, maybe you won't run a 50 miler in under 10 hours. That's fine, right? But I'd rather you do a 10.30 or 11 or an 11.30, 50 miler, feel good doing it, feel connected and go, yeah, I could probably go an hour, an hour and a half faster like I used to, but that's not worth it. I feel great the fact that I'm doing it, that I'm still connected to it, that I'm still um, in this and an endurance athlete and fit and healthy and connected to my body and taking care of it and getting stronger and strength and core and stability and chastity, integrity and all that versus nothing versus looking for that hour and a half to be faster. That Ironman to be an hour and a half faster. Sure, could you? Could I? Yes, I could. But this is where that 80-20 rule, right, kicks in that many of us have heard of, right? Okay, I'm 80% of my potential best self, sure. But in order to squeeze out that last 20, exponentially more time and sacrifices and tax and cost on the body and on my relationships and my professional life will be asked. And I don't want to do that last 20%. But do 80%. Do 80%, stay healthy, stay connected, stay, stay in this because you feel oh so much better. You get basically 100% of the health benefits by doing 80% of the training that you're capable of from a max standpoint, which is awesome. And you never know. You never know. You might have a window of time where for six weeks or for six months, for four weeks or for three weekends in a row, you can actually give a little bit more. And that catapults you to a new level of fitness where you feel not this unknown level of fitness, but where you feel closer to your abilities and what you believe you can do. And then you do an event or find a race or use that to, to catapult your fitness to a, a, a next platform for that Ironman you have planned or that 50K, 50 mile or 100 mile. There's ways to navigate through this. And the options are endless. I have yet to meet an athlete that we couldn't figure out how to get them through it. 
I mean, I'm talking anywhere from billionaires who have schedules and a lifestyle and responsibilities that they claim would be impossible to achieve X, and they have. Ironmans, 50 milers, it's not been that difficult. It's just been a question of priorities and communicating and finding those slivers of time. And guess what? What what always happens is that once they find 45 minutes, somehow they can find an hour and 15. (laughs) And they're not sacrificing other things. Now, they're not saying, okay, I signed up for this event, so in the next nine months, I'm going to do things a little bit differently because I signed up for it. But once I'm done with the event, I'll go back to having time for that. No, that's the worst approach. That's the one I don't want to go to that approach. And that is because then we're pushing things off and then everything's going to fall on us. I love that in the movie. Uh, what movie was that? Was that um, Home Alone or Uncle Buck? I think it was Uncle Buck. John Candy opens the closet and the whole freaking closet comes falling down on him. And I think a bowling ball hits him last in the head and just boom, right? I don't want that. I don't want us stuffing everything in the closet until after the Ironman, after the 50 miler, after our endurance adventure. Um, And then after the event is over, we're like, all right, let me tackle what's in the closet because I've been putting it off for so long. Boom, open the door, landslide. (laughs) Just completely blindsiding, overwhelming us and making us feel shitty. We don't want that. That's not the purpose of why we got so fit and healthy in the first place. I want you fit and healthy for many years in a row. I want you fit and healthy that you can navigate most of this training on your own, that you know what's coming, and that we work together towards next adventures, towards next challenges, towards maintaining a healthy integrity and body, maintaining a variety of other things, working on nutrition maybe, changing the focus to cycling, changing the focus to swimming, changing the focus to more running, whatever it is, but still navigating through it. Yes, there's times where that closet gets fuller and then we take a week. Guess what? This time of year is a great time of year where we don't have events for six or eight months to say, all right, let's dial back, shorten that leg of the stool, and deal with what's in that closet, right? Let's clean that up a little bit. No, not perfectly empty and clean, but at least so that it's respectable, so that we're not, so that when our wife or our husband or in our work life open that closet, they don't go, holy crap, what's going on here? Right? And then <laughs> then all hell breaks loose. So that's coaching. <laughs> 20 minutes in, just in order to go through it. Through a podcast question. Hi, Chris. Thank you for your podcast and for your newsletter. Both are very helpful to me. I will eventually get into a pattern of doing the newsletter more than once a month. Currently, I'm trying to just sort of get into a rhythm of finding what I want to put into it and start a folder on it. And once that folder or a couple of categories are filled up, I'll send out the newsletter. And I have plenty of things, but I want to make sure five or six things are always in there and then just send it out. Not make it too complicated, too fancy, too um, way too long to make it too long either. Um, so I will get you more frequently than once a month, but I am pretty committed to at least once a month currently. Um, I have a few questions regarding rest and recovery that perhaps other athletes would be interested in hearing your thoughts on. I am an ultra runner. Uh, is this an old one? I don't know. 
sometimes I've read these and I, I get confused. Let me just check here. Um, yeah, um, this is not an older one. And I've been consistently training for about 16 months without an injury. I've taken anywhere from three to 10 days off after races until my legs feel ready to start training again. But I haven't had any significant downtime from running. My 2018 racing season will be over in a few weeks. This was sent to me in late October after completing a 100 miler. Nice. It's awesome. I wonder if it's her first, her first, his first 100 miler. I've been planning to take the rest of the year off from serious training and allow my body to rest and have more time to so spend with friends and family. Awesome, right? So shortening the stool leg of self-care, fitness, endurance, adventure, and curiosity and excitement and that passion and lengthening the, the stool leg of friends and family. Love it. I'm looking forward to having the time to scout new trails, which I can train on in 2019. <clears throat> and in general, having more time and having more fun. Totally perfect. I love that. Scout new trails especially. Use the fitness that you've built and explore, right? You have no pace to run, no place to be. Right? On longer weekends, maybe, where since during the week you took shorter time and you're more focused on friends and family, or one weekend day you're like, you know what, I'm going to go out for a longer run. You were just getting ready for a 100 miler, so you know six to eight hours is not that dramatic. Well, let's say six to eight hours is still dramatic no matter what. Three to four hours on different trails, right? Awesome. Um, my only concern is I don't want to lose fitness that has been built up over the past 16 months. Do you think taking six to seven weeks off from serious training will be more de detrimental than beneficial? I do to plan some fun runs and keeping up core work, yoga, and resistance training that I certainly, that I currently do. This is a great question. And to really start off with it real simple, absolutely it will not hurt you. Your body, how it heals, <clears throat> excuse me, how it heals, rebuilds, um, reconnects, cartilage, meniscus, muscle, um, your entire body, energy levels, gut, um, you know, metabolism, all that needs a break. All athletes go through phases like this, where at times you train way less and it's so healthy. From a nutrition standpoint, Keep this in mind too, allowing your body to take a breather. And, and so let me, let me phrase that differently. <clears throat> Many athletes that I work with are on nutrition approaches, philosophies, thought, uh, uh, the way they go about it, whether it's plant-based, whether it's vegan, whether it's <clears throat> they're more ketogenic. It, it is what it is. I am not going to get into that argument with athletes, but... Here's the big but. By taking a break, you can continue with your diet, with your approach, with your philosophy. Let's say it's plant-based. And you are allowing your body to rebuild itself. Less stress, less overload, less taxing both ends of it. So nutritionally, you might not be able to get all the your needs filled, right? Because... Um, that diet might not fulfill all your own personal needs. But because you're taking a rest from the training, 
you are fulfilling the needs. The, the needs aren't that high, and it allows you to rebuild for your next phase of bigger training, bigger adventures. So nutritionally, from health and a gut and a body and a metabolism standpoint, very good too. Keep that in mind when you guys go into an off-season. You have to allow, again, my opinion, you, you should allow your body to take a break from the rigors of the, the stress on both ends, whether it's sleep and training, whether it's nutrition and training, whether it's family or work and training. There's all kinds of different things being taxed. And so taking one component and backing off a bit just allows the other one to exhale a little bit and do rebuild. And so this is a great time of year for, let's say, after a 100-miler, especially to rebuild, to allow your body to go back to par, to have less stress on it, um, allow it to recover, truly recover. And you're going to do some fun runs and keep up with core work, yoga, and resistance training that I currently... So you're doing plenty already, plenty already. Um, You know... Let's say you go to run maybe three times a week for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. That's plenty. That's plenty. At this time of year, I often shut athletes down for two, three weeks completely, and then we rebuild. It's motivating. It's exciting. It's a reset button. There's a lot of things that happen, right? You should be able, with a good strength program right now in general, Strengthen and prepare yourself for the rigors of the training and racing season. So you can do a different type of strength program in the off season, preseason. And that oftentimes, in order to have the true benefit of the strength, requires a significant break from your regular endurance activity, whether that's running, swimming, biking, or whatever. Right? It's it's and these are oftentimes intense strength training programs designed to be completed alone. This is what I like to do at this time of year where I'm doing things a little bit different, but the exercises and the motions and so forth, I have a couple of athletes actually on this, um, are close enough to their, their running or cycling or swimming, but they are not doing it in the pool, on the bike or running. They're taking four to six weeks off completely. Right? You want to build relative strength for power generation, durability, and overall longevity in our sport. This is a lot on us in with regards to endurance training. We want to build eccentric strength and strength endurance in our legs to prepare us for the eccentric loading, which occurs during long-distance training and our endurance training and our running down hills, right? We want to build lactate tolerance and recovery in our legs so that we can train harder and longer and recover quicker during breaks. We want to build our core midsection and have overall strength to add stability to our training phases and increase our overall durability. Again, all this, in order to get all this in, we have to take a break from our regular training because if we're doing this type of strength work, combined with any type of training, the benefits aren't going to be as great. And again, we're taxing too many systems at the same time. 
right? You do a long run on the weekend and you do some serious strength on Monday and Tuesday. Well, your body's still recovering from the long run or the long training session on the weekend so that the strength that you're doing on Monday and Tuesday isn't as beneficial. And now, because Monday and Tuesday wasn't as beneficial, it's going to carry into your week to make Thursday and Friday or Wednesday and Thursday and Friday not as effective. Now that's going to make you more fatigued because you're not having the adaptations to make next week's long ride or long run or long swim or combination of there not feel so good. So the benefits are also gone, right? So there's a lot going on at this time of year with these breaks. You want to build your legs and lungs and reduce the impact on our joints. We want to build durability and functional movement that teaches our body how to move effectively to reduce the chance of injury, right? I know this sounds a little technical, but these are some of the things I write down when I talk to my athletes with regards to why I want them on something different, trying something different. Of course, all these exercises do address the muscle groups that we need for our respective sport. But the key there is oftentimes we need to take a break from our activity. So yes, you will not lose any type of ability, Vince, in this case. Um, and your fitness will come back quicker. And your tolerances and all that will come back quicker. And you will actually be able to progress beyond that. A fresh body will recover and come back and quickly move beyond where it was versus just maintaining a certain lethargy that then in order to overcome that, you don't really feel it, notice it, can't really measure it, see it, and um, requires more energy in order to progress. But breaks are great. Breaks are truly great. Um, I'm in the middle of a break myself too. Very light training, if at all, right now. Of course, we have smoke here in Northern California. Um, I can't really exercise outside due to the high um, um, amount of particles and, and, and smoke in the air. So guess what? Nothing. Nothing happening. I've got plenty of time to train. It'll happen. It'll be nice enough soon. But no, I'm not forcing it now. And I'm going to use this time instead to train things that I usually wouldn't train. And that is strength training. Right? Where do I usually have these hours? I don't have these hours to train strength usually, so I do my activities. But this is great. And then I also can use this to see what I want to continue on efficiently because I did it for four, five, six weeks straight during my season. So if I really like um, a certain exercise, well, I make note of that and say, all right, that one was really effective. I felt really connected from it. And therefore, I'm going to use that and add it to my, you know, 30-minute repertoire three times a week or twice a week when I'm in season. So, um, let me see if I answered all that. Uh, seriously, detrimental, beneficial, totally beneficial. I do plan and some fun runs. Got that. Second question. Over the past 16 months, I've probably averaged one day off from running about every two weeks while training for races. You're making my head explode right now because that's not a lot of time off. During that off day, when my legs get a rest, I usually do core and upper body resistance training. As all of my athletes know, when you take a day off, you should do fully off. That's not a day off. And I would push you to take more time off in general because 
Great, 16 months is a very small window without injury, building up to a 100 miler. If you think about you wanted to be doing this and this healthy lifestyle, maybe not 100 milers, but something like it, 50 miles, 50 Ks, hikes, outdoors and nature, adventures, endurance adventures, ultra endurance adventure for 16 years. And you do too much now on the front end and continue this load. The effects on your body, adrenally, physically, muscularly, mentally, all will add up and something will give. I'm willing to guarantee that. And of course, exceptions prove the rule, but... Um, the smarter, more conservative, safer bet is to ensure that you take time off every week, a day, just to exhale, allow the body to recharge, rebuild, to come back stronger. Remember, the whole concept of training is stress, the training session, the strength session, the tax on the body, plus rest. You must rest in order for the stress, stress to actually have worked, to stay in stress mode. Even doing upper endurance or core resistance training, upper body or core, that's not rest. That's still some stress. So in your opinion, do you think what I'm doing now is okay? Or do you think that the rest day should be an absolute rest day? I think I just answered that. So hope that happens. helps Vince. Um, yeah, thanks for the question. Next question revolves around swimming. Um, listening to you has now provided me with the inspiration to train for my first triathlon in 2019. That is awesome. Very proud of you. Um, in general, I think it's awesome when, when athletes, listeners, people around me, um, people downstream with regards to hearing this or from me or from listeners or athletes of mine, that they then take on a new endeavor, adventure, something on the far edge of what they thought was possible. I think it's amazing. And that's, that's what I love to hear and help people do. I started running and it's going well. The next big, big step is learning how to swim with the right technique. What is the best way for a novice swimmer like myself to learn proper technique? Should I hire a swim coach or should I watch videos? Well, I'm a big fan of master swimming. So if you have the opportunity to swim with a master's group, there's a social component, there's a coaching component, there's a fun component, there's a structure component that keeps you accountable and, and going back for more. So I love a master swim program. Um, most places, bigger urban areas for sure have master swim programs. Um, and you'd be surprised how many other areas also have decent master's swimming programs. Those coaches might not be the best always with regards to teaching technique. Um, master's has a different dynamic versus age group swimmers, but um, at least you're getting some insight. You're seeing how others are swimming. You're seeing what's efficient, what's not efficient. You're seeing what other people are doing, what the fast swimmers are doing, what the slower people are doing. That already helps a ton. Um, swimming is one of those repetition things. You sort of just got to get fit enough and repetitive enough so that at least you can do the motions of swimming in the pool before you adjust too much technique. If you're too tired or too insecure or too confused with your motions while swimming, um, adding good technique, it doesn't matter. 
you're, you're either sinking or you're fatiguing too quickly or you're not getting into a rhythm to come, um, consistently repeat the action. So I would surely swim a fair amount. And I know this is controversial or not what a lot of coaches suggest, but I'd rather have you swimming frequently and not overthinking the swimming, but getting comfortable with whatever stroke you have. And then once you're somewhat comfortable with swimming, the distance, in this case, a triathlon distance, I don't, it doesn't say which distance, um, then we can start, or you can start finding, whether it's YouTube or online coaches, absolutely, with regards to finding someone to help you improve your swim stroke. I love the Swim Smooth schools. Um, there's Swim Smooth coaches and clinics throughout the country. Um, I know I'm sort of a homer there because Paul is a friend and I really like his approach. Paul Newsom, the founder of Swim, um, Swim Smooth. But I've been part of his philosophy and the way he does it for many years before I met him. Um, I loved his computer graphics and how he showed the different types of swimming and techniques and so forth. So there's Swim Smooth certified coaches around the country and they're constantly doing clinics and videotaping, and I would highly recommend them. I really like their approach. Now, of course, not everyone's gonna be perfect, and you're not gonna be totally successful with every single one of them, but, um, or in general, just even with the technique, but I think it's a great start, and it's absolutely way more advantageous than the risk of it not clicking for you. Um, so, that's one way to go about it. Um, but yeah, and then the other thing is with swimming, and many of you have heard this on the podcast here, I'm not a big believer in overthinking the swimming. It's such a short part of the triathlon, whether it's an Olympic distance, half Ironman, or even an Ironman, that um, spending too much time perfecting our swimming um, is not, again, look, part of my coaching, the most effective use of our limited training time right? We've talked about this math, the math of an Ironman swim, if you're not a very good swimmer, right? And you struggle with it, even if you swim a one, you're, let's say a 130, an hour and a half for a 2.4 mile swim, right? It's not very fast. But that being said, if you spent a lot of time, I mean, a lot of time with focused on technique and training swimming and getting input and getting a little bit better and then focusing on more training and input and so forth. Maybe over two-ish years, you find 15, heck, maybe 20 minutes on the swim. You spend that same time, effort, focus on the bike or the run, you're finding hours, right? Most people aren't going to improve 15, 20 minutes on the swim because either they'll get frustrated or it's just not, again, feasible. So maybe they find 10 minutes, right? Let's say you're a 115 swimmer, you really focus on your swimming and you maybe go 108. So now you got seven minutes for all that work, time, focus, money, um, effort. Whereas you can find 30, 40 minutes on the bike with snapping my fingers. You can find oftentimes 45 minutes to an hour on the run in an Ironman without doing much different in your training. It's just a question of time and efficiency and replication and strategy and pacing and fueling and things like that. Things that you can quickly fix with not, not dramatically changing your training time. So 
That's the one aspect of swimming. And secondly, the other challenge with swimming is that many coaches, master's programs included, sorry, but it's true, they coach you to become a swimmer, a pool swimmer or swimming focused. But again, our focus in many, many cases is as triathletes is to get through the swim efficiently, effectively, maybe a few minutes faster. And that's it. We're not looking for perfect technique. We're not looking for good streamlines off the walls. We're not looking for good flip turns. We're not looking for different strokes. We're not looking for, we want to be good in the open water to get to the freaking bike, right? That's basically our goal. Get me through this leg of the, the triathlon. That's the shortest portion of the overall day. Whether it's Olympic distance, half Ironman or Ironman, it is always the shortest portion of the longer part of the day. So again, energy, not best spent on it. And then oftentimes the focus in the pool then is focused on turning you into a swimmer, not a better triathlon swimmer. And so it's my pet peeve with a lot of swimming in general. Um, and a lot of my athletes, I tell them that. Those are some of the tidbits and approaches that I offer or I work with my athletes on when, they're, when they become my you know, coached, paid for athletes, that we take things like this and apply the time more effectively. And I write workouts that are more focused on Ironman and open water swimming versus too much stroke or too much flip turn focus or too much, you know, pool swimming focus that we really don't need. So, all right, that's that question. Regarding these questions in general, remember, it might take a few weeks for me to finally get to them um, because I'm working through a backlog of a lot of questions. And I also don't want to spend every podcast just answering questions. So hopefully, um, you understand that. And I try to do them in the order I received them. Right now, I'm currently on uh, late October. So it's mid-November, and I'm answering questions from the last few days of October. And one of them, this one is interesting because it's outside of the realm of what we usually talk about with regards to swim, bike, run, and this is regarding paddleboarding. Hi, Chris. You earlier put an invitation out for people to send questions to the podcast. I have a bunch of questions coming out of my past few seasons of training for stand-up paddleboard racing. Sweet. I'm sure you may not have ha- uh, I'm sure you may not have the opportunity to answer these, but if they fit into an upcoming podcast themes and get a chance to address any of them, that would be great. If not, no problem. Well, you know what? I don't know. Let's give it a whirl. Context. I've been training for stand-up paddleboard races that are up to 6 hours long. Okay, so six hours, so about the same length and intensity as a 70.3, nearly full season, three full seasons now. I've recently hit the wall, not seeing any improvement. From your podcast, it sounds like the following elements are key to successful training, and I'm having trouble with adapting them to the sport of paddleboarding. All right, here we go. This is fun. Baseline testing to establish fitness and evaluate performance at regular intervals. That's the first part. The problem with paddleboarding is that the speed is highly dependent on wind and wave conditions. Guess what? So is cycling, um, wind and terrain. It's nearly impossible to do a speed test in the same conditions every time. So is cycling. Um, remember, that's why they have indoor rowing machines too to test the ergs because those conditions become difficult too. Should I 
tried to devise a paddleboarding specific fitness test to measure progress and then wait for completely calm early morning conditions every time I test or should I just train for paddling and then see how to use some other medium to measure aerobic fitness response like treadmill. Okay. All right, without um, going into the weeds too much here, because typically what I would do um, with one of my athletes here is, yes, I would head out um, into the environment with said athlete and we would try to figure out how to um, evaluate um, a testing opportunity. Now, not every morning is going to be perfectly calm to measure output. And remember, this is, in this case, output is force of the, the paddle um, displacing water, moving you forward. So um, similar to pedals, pedal pressure, force um, um, on the pedals to propel you forward. Um, so this is a wattage, a torque question as well. We measure wattage by force times speed, force on the pedals times um, cadence, right? In order to um, keep that formula pretty simple. So um, since I'm not gonna be heading out into the um, ocean or water with you, I would, yes, I would start monitoring on heart rate to get some general data. I would monitor choppy days, windy days, wavy days, difficult days, sunny days, hot days, right? Because you're exposed to the heat and your, your core temperature is going to go up and you're going to use different types of energy with regards to hydration and fueling. Um, I would start getting some baseline data or different. Um, I would journal it. I would get an in, input with regards to choppy days and windy days. But I would do certain things that you can control. You can control the distance that you paddle. You can control the distance that you, the direction that you paddle. So if you have a said course and you always go in one direction that you know based off the conditions, based off the currents, based off the time of day, based off of the time of year, based off of the wind, what you can do that in, and not necessarily from a max effort, but from a steady effort and having a variety of inputs. And I would keep the distance and direction steady and I would change the input with regards to time of day and conditions absolutely I would have that on a measured course and this is what I talk a lot about in swim bike run and other training hiking whatever it is whatever adventure it is we're getting ready for um, having a measured data point every week 10 days or two weeks is really good to measure progress. I just did this the other day. Um, I was in the garage on my trainer because of the smoke and I just wanted to loosen up after or apply the muscle groups after some strength and core and chassis integrity work. And so I have no idea what my numbers are currently. I haven't ridden my bike in a long time and um, I just sort of know what it should feel like after doing this for many decades, but I don't know my numbers. So all I did was note at said heart rate, let's say 115 heart rate, on the trainer and on my power meter, I'm holding for this day, let's say 200 watts. And so when I ride again in a couple of days or next week, um, I'll notice that heart rate and what wattage that reflects and so forth and continue to 
spot and, and, and data, um, capture the trend and get a sense of at 115 heart rate, I seem to be putting out this. And then at 125 heart rate, it requires this much watts or this much effort or so forth. And so the same thing I would do with you here paddleboarding is I would gather that data and then yes, I would at a low heart rate, controllable heart rate, not too easy, but a controlled, low, comfortable heart rate, measure the distance, uh, measure the time it takes me to do the distance. And then I would do the same thing at a very hard effort and capture those data points. And then over time, watch how at the same heart rate, if the fitness is progressing at both aspects, high end and low end, I am achieving the distance in a shorter amount of time. Let's say you're paddling one mile or a half a mile um, in X time at 130 heart rate. And you are doing your regular training, hopefully with a variety of different stimuluses, hard days, easy days, interval days, um, lactate buffering days, things like that. And then you notice in four weeks from now at that same 130 heart rate, you covered the distance in 12 seconds less time, and then 50 seconds less time, and then 90 seconds less time. You're clearly making progress because that said controlled, steady heart rate, steady distance, and somewhat steady conditions, doesn't have to be perfect, but similar within your own tolerances, you can see your improvement. And that's all you want that you want to validate your training. So that's how I would go about that. Two, lab testing. Is there any lab testing that I should do? Since the sport I've been doing in the lab is different in, than the sport I'm training for, how would I interpret the results? Well, you could lab test even in sports that you're not doing in order to get max heart rate and in order to get a good understanding of thresholds. A lot of people ask me, well, Chris, why don't you have us do a run test and you're only having us do a cycle test? Well, I've talked about this numerous times on the podcast. The heart doesn't know what you're doing. Jumping jacks, stand up paddling, cycling, running, um, hiking, swimming, um, you know, it could, do, it could be doing anything. So that's one aspect to keep in mind. And B, when you're cycling versus when you're stand up paddling, as you increase the intensity over time, um, a good test will still have a steady heart rate trajectory, steady rise in heart rate as you have a steady increase in effort, power, resistance, whatever it is. And so from that, you can interpret your heart rate zones. The reason I'm, so now you might be getting confused. Back to cycling and running. Cycling, we're only using our lower body. Our upper body is quite still. And so therefore, the heart rates are slightly lower at that trend line than they would be for running. But they're a little bit higher on running, maybe three to five beats for somebody who's really out of shape, seven-ish beats, maybe even 10 beats if you're completely new to endurance training and any type of running. Um, because you're using your arms and you're using a full body now right? You're using your legs and your arms. So that's going to require more heart. It's got to pump more blood to the working muscles, which are all around versus just lower extremity. In your case, 
your upper body is doing most of the work, just like cycling the lower body is. And again, that data can be interpreted. You'll find if you could do a test in a lab that the heart rate zones aren't that dramatically different. And so I would give yourself a tolerance of a cycling test or of any type of test, a rowing test even in order, to, but rowing is upper body and lower body. I would choose one or the other and where you say, okay, this is lower body only. And therefore then use that uh, from a tolerance standpoint of let's say maybe, okay, plus or minus five beats. Now that sounds like a lot, but at least you're using data and will replicate that the next time you take the test um, and the way you're applying it while you're paddling. Um, so that as long as you use consistent numbers and consistent parameters, the data can work for you um, enough to, again, apply training and see benefits and hopefully see a stimulus on your marked one mile, half mile steady test, right, that we just talked about. So I would not discount those. And of course, I would not discount the aspect of aerobic activity with regards to cross training and doing different events that maybe help your heart and your overall fitness for down the road when you are doing longer paddling distances, hence some running and some cycling, right? But yeah, it can definitely be translated. Um, I would probably say because of the workload of the legs and bigger muscles versus the upper body and the glide on a paddleboard, I would probably say they're quite close because you're coasting on a bike and rolling resistance on a bike versus upper body and core and torso twisting and shoulder work. I think they were probably very close in heart rate. Now, only thing to consider, and I would make some adjustments for lowering your heart rate zone on the paddleboard because you might not be as efficient cycling at those outputs. So it is costing you more heartbeats to do a motion cycling that you are not that efficient, familiar um, with. And so that might be kicking your heart rate zones up a little bit, but you'll notice they'll rise equally. Let's say they'll go from one zone to the other zone, to the next zone, to the next zone, as you increase the wattage is pretty consistent, seven to 10 beats for every zone. So you'll have a pretty steady rise line, nothing of an exponential line. And those will be very much applicable to paddleboarding. Next, troubleshooting related to testing above. If I find out my fitness isn't improving as happened to me recently, how does one go about troubleshooting that? What are the key questions you would ask? I assume I would need to go back and forth to foundation and do more zone two training and how do I know? Well, you know by doing that field testing every 10 days to two weeks and hopefully seeing that steady output, steady effort, steady heart rate, my time is getting faster, right? Um, and same as that, that higher, not, not uh, yeah, steady output, steady effort, which means steady heart rate. Same as at the higher effort, right? Um, that you're seeing progression, progress, stimulus being, um, being effective. If not, yes, you need to change up your training. Are you going too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days so that there's just this big gray area that you're not improving from? Um, yeah, and like I was saying earlier, are you applying different types of training stimuli? Are you allowing for recovery? What kind of training phases are you going through? Those are the things I would ask you. Um, determining heart rate zones, how can I come up with 
Heart rate zones for paddling. I just talked about that. Should I devise an on-water test similar to your test in running zones? No, that I would not know. I mean, technically you could do that, but um, I'm just thinking out loud here. Would you, you we would be able to monitor, oh no, I mean, you would, you can measure distance with a GPS and a Garmin. Um, so, you know, I guess you could do an effort that's, you know, five times something like six to seven minutes long. Um, six minutes is sort of a sweet spot. Um, you know, uh, you could do an all-out four-minute test and maybe see what type of max heart rates you get from there. That's that's one way. All-out five-minute test, let's say, but I like four minutes. Um, or do a repetitive 90%-ish test, 90 to 95%-ish test, like I talk about with the five times one mile. But again, I would look at it at four, five times like seven minutes, eight minutes. But if you have a distance, I don't know the speeds of paddling. So um, I would look around um, whatever speed or distance that needs to be that it takes you about, you know, six to eight to nine, maybe even 10 minutes to complete. Um, and yeah, you probably could uh, do similarly in that you see a trend line there and can throw out the lowest heart rate and the highest heart rate and sort of get a get a sense there. And I can help you if you're going to try that. So just send me that email offline or however we want to communicate. Race pacing. Do you rec recommend using a heart rate as a guide for pacing? And if so, determine what heart rate to use. Well, you have that based off of your training data and your inputs and your test days and your simulation days. To, again, you want to accumulate knowledge in your respective sport here. And the more knowledge you accumulate, the more you can sort of narrow down how your body reacts to it, what it needs for fueling and hydration, what it needs for strength and durability, what it needs for pacing and how you can train for that. So there's a lot going on in there that... Again, your sports-specific data and you specific, you individually as the athlete, will learn a ton from that. And from that data is what we want to then devise an effective training plan from. If, you know, the back half of the race, you seem to run out of energy. Well, is that fuel or hydration or is that fitness? Are you training the hours properly? Do you just not have the pop and the the effort level to go harder when it's time, well, then, you know, you need to maybe change up your the way you're doing intervals and how you're doing your intensity. Um, do you just not have, I mean, there's a variety of ways. It's just, we're not sure. My last race took six hours and my Garmin says I spent an hour and 24 in zone five, hour and, 40 in zone four, hour and 50 in zone four, two hours and 40 minutes in zone three and no time in zone one or two. Well, who knows? Maybe if, 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 again, if zone three is the right place to be for a six-hour race, which I could see it being, you know, then you spent three hours above that. So yeah, you're gonna you're gonna fizzle out on the back end of the race if you're doing an hour and a half in zone five and an almost two hours in zone four. I would I would surely change up that balance a little bit. Again, I don't know if my heart rate zones are accurate. Those Garmin watches, they're pretty close. And again, I would not just rely specifically on them, but I would use them as data input to then observe what you specifically, during your paddling, what happens. So, 
And also with testing and swim, bike, run in general, with all of this that I talk about, they're inputs. But again, the picture you paint for yourself and specific to you and your training needs to be modified for what works. And then from there, we start coming up with a training plan, right? Um, or your own training plan. And so it's it's sort of like you're reading the, your own training log and seeing, okay, I'm clearly not recovering here. I need this there. Or I'm, you know, if you just look at this on paper, you say, well, I spent three hours above zone three and three hours at zone three for my six hour race. Well, and if my issues were X, then maybe I'm not pacing right. So again, I'm talking in broad strokes, but there's a lot of detail in here that as you're creating the profile of what you are, you, the athlete, Tim in this case, um, therefore you will get a clearer, clearer picture and therefore a prescription from that on what's most effective to train. So these are high level questions on how I would answer it, um, how uh, to, for me to answer. Now, obviously, specifically, if you were my athlete, we would dive into each one of these and pull the numbers and work around them and create zones um, that we stay away from. For example, right? Like, let's say we determine from this this race data here. This is actually pretty good. Um, well, uh, uh, zone four, right? I don't know. Do Let's see how you do um, over distance at all zone three. And... Um, uh, maybe only you get an hour at zone five and no zone four. And now let's see how your body responds from that. And then let's see if we start at two and then go to three. And again, there's data in here that we can unpack and apply and see how your body responds. And that's, and we want to capture that and repeat and capture and repeat and so forth. So, all right, that's 20 minutes on that question. <laughs> I hope that helps, Tim. Um, I love applying this stuff in different areas. So this is this is stuff that I get fired up about, as you can tell, too. So, all right, that's that question. Okay, final question of the week. Um, I'm an hour and seventeen minutes into this podcast, and but I think we've been moving on pretty nicely. Um, hi, Chris. Really enjoy the Workly Word podcast for a couple months now. I will say, out of full disclosure, this one jumped the list a little bit further because it brings up something that I wanted to address and address early on. So, because I'm, again, passionate about it. Um, thank you very much for putting the podcast out there and stuff like that. Um, somebody getting ready for St. George, 70.3 in May of 2019. Um some background, nothing um, specific, um, about two years into triathlon, had a life hiccup with regards to um, melanoma and a surgery and months of no training and switching careers and stuff like that. Um, wants to hire me as a coach, but has to wait until they can afford it, which is fine. I totally get that. Um, my coaching is not cheap. I understand that. And um, with it, I don't want to create that burden and that overload on people. And so I'm glad, I'm happy to help with any in any way I can with regards to the podcast or on emails. And um, I do my best. And 
which brings me to the question. Thank you for reading this information so far. With all that being said, I, have my, I, have, I may have a question for the weekly word as well. If in a life circumstance where a person cannot afford to hire a coach, is it advisable to still go for it on your own? I've heard over and over, do not try to do a 70.3 in an Ironman on your own. You have to have a coach. I want a coach. I would love that. But I also know that I will be at St. George. Um, I also know that I will be at St. George. Is that a good luck situation? Good luck situation? Or is it a go for it? What do you... What uh, do you think I can do it on your own? I really don't see myself being locked in financial jeopardy. Blah, blah. So real simple question. <laughs> Sorry, I, I make that a little confusing. Um, is it advisable to go for it on your own for a 70.3 or an Ironman? Absolutely. This stuff is not brain surgery. It's not that complicated. Um, are you capable of training for a 70.3 or an Ironman on your own? For sure. For sure. Any magazine, any book, any website can give you a great training plan. So do not let that stop you from being successful or having an opportunity to take part in endurance sports or any type of adventure like this. I would much rather you say you can't afford it, but you're still doing it versus some sort of fear or limiter from letting you experience what is awesome, right? Sure, Coaching helps you maximize your training time, helps you navigate the three-legged stool like we talked about earlier, a variety of benefits. But at first, absolutely you can go on it on your own and do not let this sport or the distances or any of that intimidate you. Get out there and get going step by step, day after day, and realize that every workout session you're doing whether it's a swim, a bike, a run, a combination, or just any one of them individually, if let's say your first 50K, or your first marathon, or your first 10K, or your first 100 miles, whatever. One foot in front of the other, day after day, it's helping you progress to becoming any type of athlete you want to become. And so the online training program, the magazines, triathlete magazine in this case for you, um, all have great training programs to just get you out there consistently, repetitively doing your one of three activities. And yes, you've been doing this in this, in your case, for two years, and you might be familiar with them, but getting back into a regular um, rhythm and daily training and weekends a little bit bigger and progression and uh, macro cycles and micro cycles and, you know, adding some speed and distance and endurance into it. Absolutely, you can do all that on your own. And don't, and you can be really good <laughs> with that, right? So for sure, do not hesitate to think that that is um, any reason why not to go about it. I don't think anybody should be saying um, uh, that you have to have a coach to do those distances. I don't agree with that at all. Um, now, 
The reason, and I said this earlier, most people choose coaching to have an advocate, to have a guide, to have a mentor, to have somebody help them navigate through this bigger training to maximize their limited time and maximize their potential to maximize all the other aspects of their life that they're trying to keep connected to, active, um, growing without burning those bridges, without you know the three-legged stool falling apart. So coaching takes on very different aspects of this, but the format of go out and swim, go out and bike, go out and run, go out and do a combination of the three and do something longer on the weekends, that will get you plenty ready to complete, to participate, to finish a 70.3 and to improve upon that too because you know maybe more about going through the training cycles as you've done it more. So yes, that um, very adamant, clear, you can do it. Anybody can do it. Um, it does not need to be done only with coaching. So, all right, that was the final question for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Weekly Word podcast. And I wanted to thank you all again for the emails, for your questions, for your interest, for your insights, and for us to be able to have this conversation um, around the training, around nutrition, around fueling, but also around the mindset, around the philosophy of this endurance world lifestyle that we're in, why we're doing what we're doing, how we're taking care of ourselves in order to then take care of more and others and our community. And I'm not looking for this to be a podcast with 100,000 downloads. Um, if that's what happens, so be it. But this is more about helping you all that have a interest more than just completing an event and moving on. For those of you that have an interest on staying connected to this endurance fitness lifestyle for many years to come and realizing that there needs to be a sweet spot or a way to navigate through these hours, this training, this lifestyle, um, this mindset, this approach, so that we keep everything in balance, that we have a holistic view of this um, lifestyle, of this training, of this adventure, of this curiosity, of this itch, um, that we feel there's more to us than um, just ignoring it and always being curious of what we could do and what is on the outer edge of what we deem is possible and how to satisfy that in order to be stronger, better, smarter, and more contributing to our community around us and our loved ones and so forth. I'm, I can't um, stress enough how important it is to me to help um, spread the word that by being healthy, and by being fit, and again, fit doesn't mean this high-level performance, just fit in order to take on each day the way we want to take it on versus how we're stuck taking it on, and being fit in order to have that energy and have that passion and vitality for every day, for our loved ones, for our work, for our creative process, for everything that can make our day better. And I think it starts with ourselves and not necessarily that the first thing in our day is our workout, 
but that each day we have that opportunity to check in with ourselves and spend time in our brain, in our thoughts, while we're exercising, while we're getting our heart rate up, while we're, you know, outdoors, breathing in the air, and truly reconnecting to what our evolutionary self is, outdoors, active in nature. And I realize not all of us have an opportunity to be in nature every day, but being active and getting that heart rate up and the blood flowing and being healthy gets us mightily close. And that way, when we are in nature and can be out there and truly take it in and have that, um, what I heard the other day, wilderness therapy, uh, maybe I should call it just nature therapy, outside therapy, so that when that does happen, when those opportunities do present themselves, we're healthy and fit and strong to truly live it and embrace it and enjoy it to our human potential. So have a great week, everybody. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.